Hi, I'm Lindsay Credwell, digital production assistant for TheWeek.com, and today I wanted to share a rare recording of the founder of Modern Nursing, Florence Nightingale. That recording is from 1890, which is why it's a little hard to hear. What she's saying is, when I'm no longer even a memory, just a name, I hope my voice may perpetuate the great work of my life. Inspired by this recording, we thought we'd take a look back at the specifics of Nightingale's work and the way she revolutionized the field of nursing. Florence Nightingale was born in 1820 and named after the city of her birth. She grew up on the Italian countryside and proved to be an extremely gifted child with an affinity for the sciences. Her wealthy British parents educated her and toured her around Europe, which was typical for young, refined women at the time. When Nightingale was 17, she became convinced that God called her to the service of reducing human suffering. Her parents were horrified. They, like many others, viewed nursing to be a lowly and crass occupation, unworthy of Florence's social standing. Besides, they expected their highly eligible daughter to marry. But Nightingale was determined to build a life outside of wedlock. And so, over the years, she continued to defy her parents, visiting hospitals in Rome, Paris, and London. Finally, nearly a decade after first hearing that calling to the profession, Florence enrolled in a nurse training institute in Germany with her parents' blessing. The biggest influence for Nightingale came early in her career. In 1854, Britain and France declared war on Russia. The ensuing Crimean War would have a devastating toll on the British Army. The wounded were shipped to woefully unsanitary and understaffed medical stations in Turkey. There, wounded men slept in overcrowded, dirty rooms without blankets. Soldiers who came in with war wounds were dying of wretched illnesses like typhus, cholera, and dysentery. Nightingale and a team of 38 volunteer nurses were sent to Turkey to relieve the situation. And Nightingale proved to be swift, resourceful, and tirelessly dedicated. She attempted to improve sanitary conditions, nutrition for the soldiers, and organize activities for the patients to help with morale. Under Nightingale's watch, the death rates were improved dramatically. Nightingale took meticulous notes of the facilities, patients, illnesses, and deaths, and when she returned to England, she campaigned for better medical conditions, which led to the creation of the Royal Commission on the Health of the Army. In 1859, Nightingale published Notes on Nursing. The book was her vision of nursing as a preventative medicine. She outlined techniques that may seem obvious now, but at the time were revelatory. Best practices included speaking quietly so that patients could sleep, and also paying attention to a patient's needs, and finally, indulging them if they craved something special. Most important of all, though, was cleanliness of the nurses, the doctors, and the hospital itself. In 1860, Nightingale started her own nursing school to teach her methods to the next generation of caregivers. Nightingale's influence extended to the design of hospitals as well. At the time, hospitals were often seen as cesspools of disease. Health professionals didn't know nearly as much about waterborne and airborne diseases as we know today, and vaccines and immunizations were not widespread, if used at all. The rich avoided hospitals altogether, opting to be treated at home. Even surgeries were performed as house calls. But the poor couldn't afford such luxuries. The facilities were overcrowded, poorly ventilated, and sometimes constructed near open sewers and farm animals, 
perfect breeding grounds for epidemics which could wipe out waves of people at a time. There had been some debate bubbling for years over the poor design of hospitals. Experts didn't yet understand how germs spread, but many were advocating for more ventilation. Thanks to Nightingale's 1859 publication Notes on Hospitals, the scales were tipped. She suggested wards that were long, narrow blocks with tall windows situated on each side of the room to allow for cross-ventilation. And because Nightingale gave these long, percolating ideas a voice, the wards were named after her and can still be seen in the design of some contemporary hospitals today. In addition to nursing practices and hospital design, Nightingale also pioneered the use of graphics for presenting statistical data. The idea to use charts and renderings to explain complicated numbers came to her during her time in the Crimean War. Nightingale became obsessed with her failure to save more lives during wartime. So when she returned to England, she started studying applied statistics. Nightingale figured out that of the 18,000 soldiers who died, 16,000 of them died not from battle wounds, but from preventable illnesses. A further study of soldiers' health statistics found that the death rate in peacetime, not just wartime, was higher among soldiers than average civilians. To make sure more people were aware of the statistics, Nightingale designed a polar area graphic. Basically, it's a circular bar graph that is able to show the shocking statistics visually. She believed that such graphics would, in her words, affect through the eyes what we fail to convey to the public through their word-proof ears. And it worked. The graphic was a key tool in persuading the government that deaths could be prevented if only hospitals would clean up their acts. Nightingale founded Modern Nursing on the basis of compassion, care, and tireless attention to the patient's needs. It's a fact that's best illustrated by her nickname, the Lady with the Lamp. She would often wander the halls of the hospital late into the night, guiding her way by the dim glow of a lamp. This image resonated with people so much that she became a bit of a celebrity. She even had to travel under a pseudonym, Miss Smith, to avoid unwanted attention. To read more about Florence Nightingale's work or to listen to the rare recording of her voice in full, go to theweek.com slash audio. If you'd like to listen to more of The Week's daily podcasts, you can subscribe to them on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you could rate our podcasts on iTunes. I'm Lindsay Cradwell, and thanks so much for listening. 